Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy. Today, we're doing something very exciting and something me and Mike have been wibbling on for for ages. We're <laughs> going to talk about the episode Ghost Light. So, let's introduce everybody. Um, first of all, encouraging you that that's the way to the zoo. That's the way to the zoo is Mr. Mike Mould. How are you, sir? Let me guess. My heresies appall you. My theories outrage you. I never answer letters, and you don't like Mike Ty. Yeah, that's about right. Sounds it. <laughs> I've got that on your CV, actually, Mike. Oh, and nice. <laughs> and encouraging you to not try the soup. I'm Emma Foster. Um, and we're very excited tonight that we're having our extra special guest host with us tonight, Mr. Rick Tetro from uh, Starbase 66. Welcome, sir. Shut up, Ace. Oh, hi. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel persecuted. <laughs> You're attacking um, her kind. Yes, my people. <laughs> Thank um, you for having me on and good evening. Oh, I was saying, well, we're very pleased to have you on because I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. <laughs> so I can't I think, either. I'm, uh, I, I'm anxious to hear what I think of it too. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that we should just dive right in and go for that then. So um, for anyone who hasn't heard us before, maybe this is your first episode with us. Um, basically, we're going to talk all about Ghostlight. Um, me and Mike are veterans of this quite obtuse let's let's put it lightly episode from the seventh doctor's season era but if i'm right in saying rick you've never seen this before before we asked you if you'd like to watch it uh even to the point of for christmas my wife ordered me one of the this little uh doctor who figurine that uh they they came out with this whole series of them but mm. she goofed and got the sylvester mccoy one right and i hadn't opened it until after I watched this episode, because I had not ever seen any of his episodes. Okay, and, so we, but, really, we really heaved you in at the deep end then by asking you to watch Ghostlight. <laughs> so if you'd like to just just throw it out there, what did you make of this episode? Uh, much anger in this doctor. <laughs> mm, yes. Mm. Uh, and and I, I, the, the whole reason for the shut up ace, he just really brutalizes that poor girl. Mm-hmm. Um, sure does. Seems like he's always shoving her somewhere, or telling her to be quiet, or telling her no, or whatever. But uh, I, there were there were things I liked about him. Uh, there were things I didn't like about him. The, the whole episode uh, is, is rather puzzling. Um, <laughs> well, yep, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that you know someone who absolutely had no background in Doctor Who would be totally lost in it uh you know i was hanging on by the skin of my teeth but uh, uh i overall i think i enjoyed it <laughs> so if i had if i was going to ask you like okay so rick what was ghost light about what would you say <laughs> <laughs> it was about liberace's slightly more butch cousin um <laughs> okay right um <laughs> I, you know i i my first note I'm watching this episode is nobody questions strangers running around this house. Mm, okay. Now, now this this it, it, as for what it's about, some uh, primordial force. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, to be honest, Rick, I mean, you know, when I say we chucked you in the deep end, I'm ain't lying because I mean I've seen this episode. It's got to be over a half a dozen times, mm -hmm. and there's always a point where I go, "What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always felt not always, but there were a lot of times that I felt like maybe a scene was shot that didn't make the final edit, because mm -hmm. uh, the the story really seemed to jump around a bit. Uh, and well, I, I don't remember any any real specifics, but that there there seemed to be points that plot lines that sort of dead ended and never they never went back to or and, and for a while it seemed like light was defeated and everybody was just sort of relaxing and then he was in the dining room making soup or something it just i i i did get puzzled rather frequently well the thing you have to remember the, the thing with this one is it i think wasn't it originally supposed to be a four-part story emma and then it got yeah i think so yeah yeah, and uh, there are even like sort of post-production trims and pre-production trims, and I mean this this story is let's put it mildly um, jam-packed. I mean, with all the allusions and references and things that uh, of like the nature of evolution and the whole Victoriana setting, it's it's 
really dense and i still i this is probably one of one of my like top five doctor who stories of all time you know including new and old okay say i mean i think i say in terms of like episodes that you're gonna you know keep going back to Mm -hmm. i'd say ghostlight is right up there for me because as i say it's so dead. I mean, as you say, Mike, it's so dense. Mm-hmm. I think that you will kind of you tend to focus in on a on a kind of different aspect of the story, or you pick up something that you kind of missed having watched it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I entirely agree with you. I don't know if I put it as high up as my top five, but it's definitely kind of it's right up there. I would say it's it's among my favourite Seventh Doctor. Mm episodes um so i think it's interesting that rick you kind of picked up on how kind of harshly uh, the doctor treats ace in this episode mm-hmm. and um i think it's quite interesting that um when when the i'm trying to remember which series it was i think it was the last series when mm-hmm. i think it might have been the girl who waited and episodes like that where people really kind of like down on the doctor for you know what he ended up doing with amy and all this sort of thing and i think that a lot of people who've seen ghostlight are going <laughs> it ain't nothing to compare to what he has done before <laughs> she's getting off lightly yeah, I mean, this and Curse of Fenric, that, I mean, he really sort of goes to town around. He really these. hammers her, yeah. Mm. I mean, and they, I mean, canonically as well, they happen in very short succession. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while she's, you know, for why Ace is still knocking around, I think that, you know, it, it's quite indicative of, of her character. That I think, you know, you after all these episodes, you know more about Ace and her background and kind of how she is the way she is and sort of how quite damaged she is as a as a person um much more than you know anything about any other companion in the in the previous stories it, it did certainly uh give me pause because i i've been one of the the more vocal people bitching about how like especially during uh the the, the latest incarnation that it kind of became the amy pond show mm. um but you know now having seen that i see that there is precedent for it yeah, um, I think that, it, yeah, I mean, that um, Ace is really, is that precedent. It doesn't really happen until we get to Ace. And then every companion that we see in 2005 after that, Ace is, is the sort of prototype model for how we how we make companions complex people as opposed to just someone who goes, what is it, Doctor, and runs around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oddly enough that you mentioned Curse of Fenric, Mike, because after I finished watching this, uh, the only other episode available to me uh, of, of The Seventh Doctor was Curse of Fenric, so I went ahead and watched it, too. Hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I, I must say, <laughs> though I may be getting in as much trouble as I did on the Movies You Should See episode we did recently, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like Curse of Fenric better. No, that's fine. I, think, so I don't think you would get in trouble for that. I think a lot of okay. people... No, I think a lot of people won't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, in ter- comparing the two directly, I mean, Fenric is, you know, much more... <laughs> not You know, it's much more straight... Not to, like, say that, you know, if you don't you like Ghostlight because it's dense, you know, it's because you're dense. I'm not saying that. But mm. with no. Fenric, it's a much nicer... It's an, you know, it's an easier watch. It's, you know, you get... You know the plot kind of it's more linear and you know it's it's it sort of makes sense you yeah. know immediately as with go otherwise with Ghostlight, you know you you bang your head against that brick wall a lot I think um, because as you as we keep saying it's it's so kind of full of stuff I mean because there's stuff about evolution sort of gender relations class mm. relations um kind of the victorian era versus the modern era i mean there's so much stuff in there oh yeah and and i'm i'm not saying that i dislike ghostlight at all no, 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 if, no. I, if i hadn't enjoyed it i wouldn't have gone on to watch another episode in the no, series of course not. yeah exactly <laughs> um but i think that you know as as kind of a as as an intro to the seventh doctor i mean Ghostlight is kind of like you know it's it it's kind of master level you know yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's not what I would say to I mean because I think 
if you're sort if you sat through 20 minutes of ghost light and you know there's all this stuff going on and you're just like oh, i don't i don't get it <laughs> just turn that shit off i'm gonna go have a lie down and a herbal tea you know <laughs> no one will blame you hmm. <laughs> well it was it was very you know like i said but having been a tom baker fan mm. uh, i think really helped me get through ghost light yeah uh, you know because when 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 Doctor Who gets impenetrable and 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 really arcane, you know you just you, you, if you know better, you just buckle down and wait, <laughs> and it'll eventually all sort itself out. Yeah, hmm. um, I mean as well. I mean that's quite in- interesting in that I think that that is kind of a of a criticism that gets thrown at Stephen Moffat quite a lot. In that you know it's not immediately obvious what's going on, but hmm. eventually. If you just if you just wait, mm-hmm. it it will come good. I think that anyway. But I think you know there's a lot of people who would disagree with me on that respect. But mm. I think that um, like I say, how Ghostlight is set up and structured is it's really a microcosm of what Doctor Who is now. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, pretty, I would certainly agree with that. Yeah, it's pretty much like a precursor to. Uh, Stephen Moffat's reign on the show, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, I mean, do you, Rick, know anything about kind of what was happening, uh, sort of, sort of behind the scenes in Doctor Who in, at this point in time when it was being when Ghostlight was being made? If I do, I'm not aware of it. I'm, okay, you know, fair enough. Just from listening to what you all have talked about, but I don't know like the time frame. <laughs> yeah, it's just that you know when when um, these episodes were being made and the Seventh Doctor's kind of reign was kind of ongoing there was much more effort um within the production team to make the doctor much more mysterious and much more other and you know because this was kind of the first generation of fan ascended fanboys essentially people who'd grown up on doctor who and then ended up working for the show which is the, the situation we have now but this is the first the first kind of wave of those people. So they wanted much more to, like I say, make the Doctor much more mysterious and kind of this sort of elemental trickster almost who's kind of always like three steps ahead, kind of like the ultimate chess master. And there was this whole idea that there was like um, what has come to be known as the Cartmel master plan. Andrew Cartmel was the guy who was in charge at the time. So that there is evidence for and against that this thing ever existed, that there was kind of this whole arc that was being built for the seventh doctor. Um, that, and there's, like I say, there's kind of, you can read a lot of that into the stories that are going on, or you can completely discount it, whether how much this actually existed is up for debate. Um, but, uh, yeah, do you sort of start to get elements of it in stories like this where, you know, we're setting up stuff that never gets fulfilled because the series ended. Mm. Yeah, I. Yeah, you know, I don't know that it, that that it nec- Well, it, I, the the sense of other really didn't come across from me. Mm. What what really came across was a sense of bitchy old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just. I mean. I, I mean. I I appreciated McCoy's Sylvester McCoy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated. I've got the cast list right in front of me. I could look at my screen. Derp. <laughs> um, uh, I appreciated his performance. I loved how he plays with with language. I love how he goes from like his accent drifts all over the place, but you can tell it's on purpose. Mm. It's not. It's not like him losing the, the the performance. He's just you know sometimes he 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 rolls his R's, other times he doesn't. I like the way he plays with speech, mm-hmm. uh, but most of the time he just comes across like he just you know woke up with a headache and just isn't having a good day. I think that I think that's kind of <laughs> I think that that's I think that it it might be that I mean I'm I'm of the opinion of obviously having seen kind of everything of the seventh doctor mm-hmm. that that element of his character is kind of at his worst in this episode yeah yeah cuz I mean he wasn't always like this um in season 24 which was his first Sylvester McCoy's first year as the doctor he was a lot more sort of clownish um a lot of platforms he would mix his metaphors a bit but this was kind of what he was wanting to do with the character he wanted to make it much more dark and much more like straight but as he often said in like interviews trying to do that is like trying to turn a great ship into the in the ocean it's you can't do it immediately Mm. You know, so uh, when you sort of like look at this and you look at, say, something like, I don't know, like Paradise Towers or Time in the Rani, I mean, they're 
almost completely different characters from one another. Yeah, see, unfortunately, I'm greatly hindered over here mm. by mm. a dearth of available material. Um, literally, this episode and Curse of Fenric were the only two I could find streaming on, uh, you know, I have both Netflix and Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. uh, Netflix, I could order DVDs, which we didn't have time for because we were, we were going to do this episode like a couple of days after I had a chance to watch it. Um, so the, waiting for a DVD wasn't an option. Um, and I bet I've been looking around. And even, even as far as requesting DVDs, other than like trying to find box sets, which, you know, I just, I, <laughs> who can afford that? Um, oh, yeah. There just isn't that much available. So, I, you know, I, I noticed that this was not anywhere near the beginning of Sylvester McCoy, and I would have loved to have gone back. I, I really wanted to watch, what is it, Time of the Ronnie? Time and the Ronnie, the yeah. Because yeah. uh, you, you guys talk about the Ronnie so much uh, <laughs> that I, I wanted to see what the hell it was, but I had, you know, it's only available on DVD. Um, and it's, the, it's not just Seventh Doctor. It's all of them, except mm -hmm. for every, everything before uh, Christopher Eccleston is really hard to get over here. Hmm. See, that does surprise me. I thought that I thought that sort of kind of with the popularity of the the more the recent series is is I thought there might be a, a bit more clamor for for classic stuff but um it's like there's two to four episodes of each doctor that you can get your hands on and then nothing or it's like your taster and then you know Chris spend some money yeah, buy some expensive yeah. box sets and shit mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no I will have to say there was a moment that I laughed out loud in this episode. Go on then. Hmm. Doctor, where have you been? Where haven't I been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black, I, Adder, I, Black Adder fans. <laughs> Which... <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, something that intrigues, I, I kind of want to throw out to you, Rick, as well, is that, I mean, something that I kind of, I end up bringing up a lot when I when I talk about kind of late, sort of the very end of the classic era. I mean, this was broadcast in October 89 over here. <laughs> so... Um, in a world where this is having to compete with the next generation, um, I'm always kind of intrigued by that comparison because I think that the thing that really killed Doctor Who was the fact it looked so creaky and kind of dumb next to shiny spaceship, flashy uh, next generation. Um, what, do you, what do you think of that? Um, okay. As far as I know, at least in my experience, Doctor Who started airing in the U.S. on our public uh, TV stations um, in 1979, 1980, something like that, mm -hmm. uh, with Tom Baker, the Tom Baker years. Mm. And I watched, I watched the first season. Uh, I watched up until Sarah left, and then I watched up until Leela left. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know if I stopped watching or if if they stopped airing it, because I was kind of surprised to hear that there was more Tom Baker after Leela. Uh, but once, once, um, Peter, Peter Davison, mm -hmm. uh, the, the cricket uniform doctor, uh, once he came in, I stopped watching. And I also pretty quickly after that stopped hearing anything about it. So I'm not sure that it even continued airing over here much long after that. So, I mean, I think that's that's really interesting to me. I mean, because uh, John Nathan Turner, who sort of soon after this period you're talking about, took over, the show, sort of became the supremo of Doctor Who. He was so into the US audience. He really drove, you know, the, conven the sort of the fir very first convention, Doctor Who conventions over in the States. Um, he had you know, main cast characters over there. He was a big booster for the series over uh, in the US. So, you know, I think it's kind of interesting how, you know, it, it did sort of get to a point where there were fans here who were saying um, that he was favouring the US market over the domestic market of trying mm. to court these fans from over the pond, so to speak. But um, no, I just think it's interesting that it just so, it so fell off the radar sort of in the, in the 80s. Yeah. Now, granted... In South, you know, I was, you know, grew up in South Florida, which is not exactly the hub of, of culture in the U.S. I don't know that we actually have one. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it may just have been, you know, my my area's 
uh, ratings weren't all that great, so they just stopped carrying it. But uh, but yeah, I don't remember hearing much about Doctor Who after the Peter Davison era uh, until you know they announced that there was going to be a new Who with the the, the Christopher Eccleston season. I think that's difficult for us to remember as Brits because when if it's on the telly here, everyone gets it. Hmm. Whereas yeah. obviously in, in the in the states, it's much different, you know, with local markets and the such. Yeah, uh, especially back then. Uh, yeah. not not quite so much anymore. Uh, but back then, yeah, you you had your your three main channels: ABC, NBC, and CBS. Uh, you had the, you had their their affiliates, and then you had a sprinkling of local stations, uh, and then one public radio, public uh, television station, PBS, we call it, uh, and they would be the ones, PBS would be the ones carrying Doctor Who, and they're the ones who are the most poorly funded uh, people on the planet. So mm-hmm. if the price for Doctor Who went up at all, uh, they would dump it. Yeah, I'd imagine it probably did then, because, you know, we're, we're desperately the BBC is trying to, like, please give us some money so we're not making <laughs> these sets out of fag papers and crisps, please. <laughs> so, yeah, probably. I mean, you know, we have we did have some regional telly. I mean, because I was Thames Television down here in the south. And mm-hmm. I, what do you have up, up north, Mike? Uh, it'll be northeast. So yeah. BBC northeast, Tainties. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we did have regional telly. I mean, um, you know, a lot of darts based programming up north. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, clogs, whippets, that sort of shit. I'm led to believe so. Um, <laughs> I actually kind of like watching darts on the the rare occasion when I get to see it. It's become mental. It like it was always popular, mm. but now it's become mental, like crazily yeah. popular. I mean, because yeah, people people will go down in their thousands to watch it live. Oh and wow. I mean, and the atmosphere in there, I mean, obviously, we don't need much incentive to get absolutely wankered over here, do we? But <laughs> no. I mean, you know, so, but no. I mean, just, you know, there's dressing up and there's chants and songs and oh, yeah. loads of stuff. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. The, the, the dance players like enter to their own music and stuff. It's like pro wrestling. It's like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like darts, billiards and bowling. I like watching those because I can actually do those things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, there's darts and billiards. We've both had, like, game shows built around those fucking things. It's only a game, so... <laughs> oh, no, I'll be singing that all night now. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> That's the theme tune to Big Break for anyone who's, you know, not my age. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Me or Mike's age, I'm sorry. Yeah. You get a terrible amount of references to 90s television, unfortunately, because now we're 30-somethings and we feel old. <laughs> speaking speaking of... of TV that is delineated by its decade, that opening, the, the, the yeah. Doctor yeah. Who opening, oh my tale. god, yeah. not, not, not necessarily the whole thing, but that final logo is so freaking late 80s, oh, oh, even if I had no idea when this thing aired, I would have known exactly it is <laughs> when it aired. as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's what gets me is the sil- it's the silver painted silv with the wink that gets me <laughs> that makes me go oh every time <laughs> i mean but um that's actually something we can um now I've, after i've derailed the conversation with talk of darts and 90s game shows let's reel it back in something that i've always thought about whatever era of doctor who it you know you can get on with it to a you know you can get something out of it and it's not, and it's dated in its effects and such. Mm-hmm. But nothing is, uh, for me, as dated as much as eighties Doctor Who, mm. especially yeah. Sil- uh, Sylves era, because I mean, I mean, black and white, um, you know, shonky effects, you know, it all goes hand in hand. But I think because they, I think it's the music as well for me, and a lot of mm-hmm. the uh, Sylvester McCoy, you know, it's a lot of synth. Yeah. You know, you can just imagine someone banging a Casio keyboard oh, yeah. in the background. You know, it just it makes you know, as soon as you hear that little bing noise, you know when the action starts. <laughs> well, the, of um, the three composers who were working on it at the time, I think Mark Ayres is the one who does it like the best. Because I mean, it's uh, Kath McCulloch is the one who sort of really does all the, the the yes sort of orchestral stings in the music. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. like it's like every time he's like a little bit of owner of a lonely heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now you know something else I I noticed mm-hmm. in watching two episodes. You know, which was uh, you know what seven uh, separate. Sections or whatever, installments, thank you. Not a single appearance of the Sonic Screwdriver. Oh, that well gone by then. 
oh yes, this sonic screwdriver has been consigned to the dustbin of history mm. with, with three doctors removed from the last use of the sonic screwdriver mm. because it was destroyed um, in the fifth doctor's era by uh, by a, a baddie um, mm. because the writers were like, we're fed up of him having like a and in one mighty bound Jack was free device, essentially. Um, so they they got rid of it, and it's not oh, okay. like it's not like who is now where he just pops another one out of the console when he blows it up. Um, it was gone forever. So the mm. fifth Doctor didn't have one for his majority of his time. The sixth Doctor and the seventh Doctor never had one. Okay, I mean, as as much as I I love the fact I own two eleventh uh, Doctor sonic screwdrivers that were gifts from from people. Uh, the I, I so loved it in uh, um, Day of the Doc, Day of the Doctor, when yeah. when John Hurt was like, "What are you going to do? Assemble a, a cabinet?" <laughs> <item."> yeah, because <laughs> uh, it just yeah, it's become you know, it's become the the de facto lightsaber of Doctor Who, and it it's just silly. It's a tool. It's not a weapon at all. And uh, I, hmm. I, I rather appreciated the screwdriverless stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do I do like the Sonic Screwdriver. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have four in this house, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, again, I, it's one of those things of when it's an episode where he doesn't use it, I don't miss it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of, but I mean, uh, it it was sort of would have been if the if the Eleventh Doctor was in this episode, mm-hmm. he would have just you know scanned light or scanned control or you know. Nimrod or something like that and yeah. determined that Nimrod was a Neanderthal now this hang on right <laughs> brace yourselves controversy time okay. right I'm interested to wonder how this episode would go down in some parts of the United States seeing as it's mainly about evolution Ooh. uh <laughs> and uh, yeah I was kind of think I was I was enjoying <laughs> that aspect of it because for some stupid reason in the last Five years, maybe evolution has become an issue in this in this country. Uh, I, I really enjoyed. I, I was enjoying it from a historical standpoint. Of you know, yeah, this is what you know when Darwin was first putting out his ideas, and you know there was the the, the poo pooing of it, and the Reverend Ernest Matthews was mm-hmm. very a very excellent representation of, of what it was like then. Um, you know, I could we could we could spend an hour talking more about. The, the whole anti-evolution movement mm. in the states, and the fact that the the religious right is being played like fucking puppets by uh, by the conservative politicians over here because they know that it's an easy mark. You know, Absolutely, fan the yeah. fires of religious religious fanaticism, mm-hmm. and the smoke will hide what you're really doing, and that's what's going on over here. And this whole anti-evolution thing is just a, a symptom of that. Mm. Um, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, no, say so, no, no. My 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 question really was that: Do you think that kind of would this episode kind of not be shown in kind of the more if the, if this if this episode was like the eleventh Doctor episode, so to speak, or that maybe or that um, see people were doing a classic run of of who in like um some of the more conservative areas of the US, would it be to the point that they wouldn't show this episode? No, because the people huh? that watch Doctor Who are not the people that pay attention yeah. to this sort mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, and the people that pay attention to this sort of thing aren't going to really care that a, a, a silly little show out of England is talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I don't know if you heard about the, the quote-unquote controversy over Cosmos. Um, I, I, I'm amazed that Neil deGrasse Tyson still lives. Having, <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm amazed that it goes out on Fox. I mean, yeah, yeah. Knowing, knowing what I've sort of read, obviously about uh, kind of the more heinous aspects of Fox's uh, uh, decision making. I mean, something oh. that um, you know doesn't even. I mean, because I think that there's a lot of thing of with the creationist movement of you have to give equal airtime to creationism if you're going to put things with well, evolution in and i yeah. can't you know i was a bit like oh so we're just going full tilt actual facts rather than going oh, blah, 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 you know obfuscating it a bit mm-hmm. yeah no it's it's you know that that's the thing they their their buzzword their 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 catchphrases teach the controversy there is no controversy science is decided on this it's their crazy asses that want balance 
uh... I mean, you know, it does. It just seems, you know, um, it's easy for us to go <laughs> stupid. But I mean, today, what our education secretary has announced that um, it's going to be English literature only over mm. here. So no more To Kill a Mockingbird, no more Mice and Men. All really boring romantic poetry all the time. <laughs> now you see, I find American literature to be utterly dull, so I think you guys got <laughs> dodged oh, I to kill a mockingbird. I, I liked it when I when I did it. I, I actually haven't read it, but, uh, but it's nice. I, I saw the movie. The movie was. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One of the saving graces of this episode, while it's not bad at all, but I think the performances were awesome. Mm. Yes. Especially my favorite was Carl is it Forgione? For yeah. Uh as Nimrod. Yeah, he was awesome. He was he was magnificent. I mean, it, you you would expect the 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 Neanderthal butler to be you know, uh, more like uh oh in Hand of Fear, the 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 the, the what was the hunchback assistant's name in that one? Um Are you thinking of uh, Kondo wait. from Brain of Mobius? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Brain of Morbius, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, we take it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you would expect that kind of performance would have been expected, but mm. Nimrod was such a, a cultured, uh, you know, <laughs> wonderfully genteel gentleman. I just, every time he was on screen, I just, I, I was like, talk more. I just want to listen to you. <laughs> such a wonderful I, voice. He is so, ma- he's really magnetic in this. I mean, you mm. just, you like you say, you just want to watch him all the time. I mean, yeah. it so would have been easy just for him to be like a monkey butler. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know it's um it it's really i mean i can't even begin to imagine how when presented with this script and say right you're a neanderthal butler go um i, I don't <laughs> even know how you would begin to to do that you know but well, it's brilliant well i was reading i was like um reading like the uh, info text on the dvds and um he actually did go to like the natural history museum and like looked at like their mock-ups of the neanderthals and i think he based a lot of his performance on like sort of like you know jeeves from uh, jeeves and worcester and, and things like that so i think that's how it's like uh, how it works so well it's is this sort of uber sort of quintessential english butter to the, to the nth degree but also is this is this prehistoric you know <laughs> life form I really, really enjoyed his performance mm. uh, because he didn't go, you know, and it may have been been part the director, uh, but uh, I just, I just love that he didn't go for the obvious, uh, you know, monkey man. He he played it very straight, and I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Same goes for Control. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, granted, she's she's I, for a while. I thought, is that is that Emma Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it'd be amazing I, if it was. <laughs> I, and then I, I looked it up. I was like, because I did. I was like, the age can't isn't quite right. And I looked it up. I was mm-hmm. like, no, okay. But she, I almost thought it was her. But uh, yeah. now you see, her character was one where I th- that was her character arc was one where I thought I'd miss something. Um, no, I don't think so, really, because when you sort of compare her against uh, Josiah, who in the experiment that that light was running, Josiah is the one who is supposed to like is 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 the survey and control is obviously the experimental control now josiah he uses so he casts off his previous i never forms. even thought of that yeah that, that's that's entirely what they are i um, was thinking control isn't controlling you know, like you know, like control panel kind of oh, thing. Like, okay. it's like the pilot Don't. of the ship no no <laughs> but um the way josiah goes about his change is he has like these husks and he just casts them off every so often in his quest to become, you know, the highest life form on the planet, which in his his mind is a Victorian gentleman. Yeah. Um, Control actually goes through the proper stages of change. You know, it's, hers is much more organic and straightforward. You know, when, you know, she has like very broken speech. And, and even though, you know, she still has like some broken speech towards the end, she is all... She's a lot more well-spoken in, in so much that uh, it's very sort of like uh, Pygmalion is like, you're better off yeah, without no, you, I... squire. <laughs> <laughs> I, absolutely, I love Sharon Deuce in this. She's absolutely stonking in this. And um, I think uh, Sylvia Aldridge was like kind of jealous of her. She gets to do like the uh, the stunt where she jumps through the window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where it gets, you know, it, it does sometimes, you are sort of, if this was a Monty Python sketch, I'd be equally on board with it. Mm-hmm. Just with people flinging themselves out of windows and yeah. other people getting turned into soup. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're waiting for someone to go, I have a wafer thin mint as well after eating it. <laughs> Fuck off, I'm full. Well, I, 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 my, one, of, one of my notes was teeth marks in the scenery. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, absolutely. Um, <laughs> especially John Hallam as light. Oh, my God. But it's so it's so big, I can't not love it. That's the thing. It's kind of so mental. Yeah. It, it's... Well, I, I loved it. At first, he, his, that, that kind of falsetto he was speaking in bothered me. But when he finally dropped it, mm-hmm. and he was like, fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> You just imagine. I feel like he probably started that falsetto, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the directors said, "Darling, can we drop that?" <laughs> you know. But I think it's it's so keep in keeping with his his character. You know, like it's sort of supposed to be this sort of you know all encompassing being who's out to catalog life. So I, I can imagine him sort of like thinking very highly of himself. And when whenever somebody or something challenges what who he is or what he's doing. That's when the like the rush, like the the really gruff voice comes in because somebody's fucking with his with what he thinks is right. Do you know what I mean? Um, I really like I do like that aspect because uh, something mm. that just where I was sort of doing some research into the episode, mm-hmm. that sort of that aspect of the plot is quite Douglas Adamsy, and I think that mm. it's good we bring this up as, as we're recording it. It's Tal Day today, all you oh, wow. fruits out there. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's quite a Douglas Adamsy thing that there's this sort of this being that's been on Earth and it can't keep up with the the evolution. It's getting more and more angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw it, it does seem quite Douglas Adams light and because I don't um where Douglas Adams worked on the series for a while I do think that while they were desperately trying to rein in and be a serious proper SF show mm-hmm. um that things like that do sort of still sneak through yeah um I, I never even thought of it that way but that's yeah <laughs> that's that's brilliant yeah <laughs> oh thank you very much <laughs> my work is done bye lads <laughs> see ya <laughs> Um, I have to also like give some shout outs to Ian Hogg and Michael Cochran as Josiah and uh, Redford Sven Cooper as well because they're they're great. I mean, um, starting Hogg's with the... driving me crazy because I swear I've seen him in something else and I I looked him up and I haven't seen anything else he's done. But he he looks so familiar. Yeah, I think he does a lot of uh, RSC these days, isn't he, Emma? I think. Yeah, Les Miserables, all that business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. It, I guy is such a creep as uh, Josiah isn't he I mean uh... oh god yeah he is I mean it's sort of it's one of these actors that we kind of produce en masse not mm-hmm. to be disrespectful to the guy but middle aged creeper men yeah <laughs> um, we we do those brilliantly in this country so yeah, um, yeah. he's fantastic it, it, it's great when you sort of like see him as both as in both his Josiah forms you know the first one's like a grey hair he's like wearing like dark glasses it's like sort of almost albino-esque and it's like covered in dust and things like that but when he gets into his final form you know he's got darker hair he's got rosy cheeks he, he looks much more like a victorian gentleman as he as he uh, transforms it's just uh, great and the the relationship he has with uh, gwendolyn Catherine slasinger's uh, character it gets very kind of uh, saucy a bit a few times <laughs> now, she looked hot in a tuxedo i gotta say <laughs> I think I think actually both the girls did. I thought they looked mm, great. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I think that it's uh, something that we've brought up um, before is when it, when you you're doing a BBC show, especially mm. if you're doing something that's set in the future, you know, you get a full mica corridor with some white tiles on it. Yeah. If you are doing a period piece, we go all out. We're all <laughs> yeah. about it in the BBC. You get period like to the to the day or the month period accurate costuming <laughs> you get you know incredible sets and props and you know it, it, we take absolute meticulous care for this to be kind of like a, a legit you know a, a correct um a correct representation of the time period you're trying to do because mm-hmm. costume drama the bbc is all about it so you know no matter how micro your budget is you're getting a decent set if you set in Victorian times. Mm. Sumptuous is the word I would use for that set. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially uh, the, the grand staircase. That that whole thing was awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think there's you know we've there's the other stories sort of set in roughly the same period, all look like that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, um, pyramids of Mars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sounds of Wang Chiang as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean the. 
Yeah, uh, this is actually one of the most gorgeous looking um, shows out of you know, the 80s Doctor Who because, you know, the, the lighting isn't like, it's not overlit. Yeah, there's absolutely tons of stuff going on and, and because there's like so many like props and things like that, it leads to some brilliant stuff because when he's first, when Nimrod first meets the Doctor in Ace in the study, did you notice there's like a, a stuffed chimpanzee looking over his shoulder? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's great. It's just, it's these little, it's these little things when you just like watch Ghostlight over and over again, you pick up and it's like, oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that is fun. I mean, as as someone you know, me and Mike who've watched this episode a bunch, mm-hmm. it is fun to sort of be able, still be able to to go back and and still see things that you you haven't noticed before or you know stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'd say um, I'd really love to talk about Ace a bit in this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, it, it's just I, I think that it's such a kind of a, sort of a as I sort of briefly mentioned earlier, kind of taking into account how companions have have conducted themselves or we've learned next to nothing about the companions before mm-hmm. to kind of to really kind of focus in on her in this way i think is dead interesting and i think mm. that as well the fact that she's kind she's so not squeaky clean and she's kind of um you know as i, I mentioned sort of damaged and mm-hmm. you know she's kind of a troubled person is ace bless her art yeah and i think it's really it's really it was a really interesting choice and i think quite a brave choice actually mm. to make her kind of flawed yeah. and vulnerable yeah 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 i mean the whole what I call like the freak out sequence when um, she's in the corridor and you know, the house is like coming alive around and she starts to have these flashbacks to when she got put in the dock for uh, burning down Gabriel Chase in the future. You know, she, she just like screams, you know, it wasn't me, I'm not guilty. And then like, like the, the the sirens go off and there's the blue light flashing. It's it's really good. And um, you know, when she calls the doctor out on bringing her in the first place and you get the like, Sylvester McCoy gets his great like burnt toast speech, but clearly she's having none of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, um, I'm, I'm, I say as as someone sort of from vaguely the sort of area that Ace is purported to be from, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's kind of a shame that this is kind of a on a tea time because anyone that I know who'd been in this situation would be effing and jeffing that <laughs> house down. <laughs> 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 we would not be calling people a toe rag. Let's put it that way. <laughs> or bug brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the deal with her calling the doctor professor? It's just a nickname for him. Okay. So he wasn't really, like the teacher it, it, when they met or something. No, 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 no. no. Hmm. Should okay. we go on, uh, go on, Mike? Explain. <laughs> this is this is fun, right? Considering okay. that she's from Perivale, which is in West London, right. In the eighties, yeah. Why don't Why don't you explain how the Doctor and Ace meet? Okay, so <laughs> the Doctor first meets Ace on a futuristic ice planet called Ice World. She's been brought there. Well, she thinks she ends up there by one of her experiments because what Ace is very much into during at least season twenty-five, which is her first main series, is creating explosives, namely her own brand called Nitro Nine. And as she was cooking these experiments in her bedroom or wherever it was, uh, a time storm swept up and dumped her in Ice World where she worked as a waitress. And that's when she met uh, the Doctor and Mel, uh, the Doctor's previous companion. And then they sort of go off, Mel, Mel parts ways to the Doctor and she jumps on board. And as it turns out, it wasn't actually her experiments in creating Nitro 9 that did it, it was actually Fenric. Um, and if you've seen Curse of Fenric, that gets alluded to, I think, in the, I think it's part four. Um, and, and the doctor says, how did, did you know? And uh, Fenric replies, before Ice World. So it very much implies that Fenric was responsible for putting Ace where she was on Ice World for the doctor to meet her. Okay. Uh, is, that as con- is that concise enough? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty damn good. Uh, 10 out of 10 would use again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes, I, <laughs> you know i think that this kind of it, it's kind of 
you know, it, it's again, it's so kind of what we see in modern Who, mm -hmm. in that you know these people who are kind of their places by accident, who kind of bump into the Doctor and end up going off an adventure. Mm -hmm. um, again, you would you wouldn't see people out of their time and out of their planet. Um, any other Doctor would have met Ace in Perivale, where she's from. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they bump into each other in Ice World, a place where she definitely does not belong. Mm -hmm. um, is is really interesting. It's a really interesting way to way to do it. I mean, they sort of experimented with that by because when we meet Mel, the Doctor's previous companion, we mm. we don't actually see her intro episode. No, we just bump into her midstream essentially. Mm -hmm. That she's been knocking around with the Doctor for a while, and we just kind of jump on and carry on with them. Mm -hmm. So it, they kind of sort of nudged the door open with Mel, but they just kicked it out all the rest of the way with Ace. Yeah. And it's so what we get now. That's a very, I, I don't know if he had anything to do with it, but that's a very Douglas Adams thing. It's very similar to Trillian from The Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if um, Trillian was more just sort of like by coincidence and accident rather than by design, which is, I think, well, is very much what uh, Ace's circumstances, I think. Because Fenwick yeah. had a hand in her being where she was. Yeah, I think it's probably six or one half dozen years. I think mm. that Hitchhikers was in the wild by the time. And I can guarantee that every single one of the people on the Dot 2 staff had read it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's probably kind of a pinch of this and a pinch of that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, there was one moment in this episode that I, I haven't seen anything like it in any other Doctor Who episode. I've never, and... and Maybe that's because of my, my lack of experience. Tearing somebody's rib out and stabbing them to death with it is kind of new for a, a Doctor Who episode. Did I yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean, that was I pretty mean, grim. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll agree with that. Um, you know, we haven't gone there again. Uh, <laughs> at least I'm assuming it's a rib. That's the only thing I could figure it was, but still. <laughs> Where was this? Uh, uh, if I'm remembering right, Josiah, when he, when he comes back, uh, shoves his hand into the inspector's chest and rips out some sort of bloody bone and then kills him with it. Mm. Am I remembering wrong? I think you're remembering wrong. Because uh, the inspector gets off by light. He turns um, him into the primordial soup. All right, then what am I thinking of? I, I just, I wrote down, <laughs> I, I wrote down gruesome. And I remember seeing... Well, I think the bit um, where Nimrod stumbles upon light when he's, like, uh, disassembling the maid. That was pretty, it's like, his light turns around and he's got this severed arm in his hand. It's like, with this look on his face, like, uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> You know, <laughs> what the hell am I remembering? I don't know. I don't know, but it's awesome. I think I want to yes. watch that film. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a new edit. We'll do a fan edit. Uh, <laughs> I, I had I had actually wanted to rewatch the episode uh, mm. before we talked today, and I just never had a chance. Um, it's a holiday weekend this mm. weekend over here, uh, and so I've I've actually been to the beach twice in two days, which for me is unheard of. Uh, I've absorbed way more solar energy than I have ever, and uh, it's not a good thing. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe it was maybe it was just the the the, the dismemberment. What the hell? Am I, maybe it was in Fenric. I don't know. You can cut that part. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, if you listen to the show, this pretty much goes out as is. Okay. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Wasn't there a scene where where? One of the characters kills someone and just like like shoves his hand into his torso and rips out a a, a, a bit of bloody bone. Are you confusing me with the ring or something? Which you had to watch. <laughs> no, I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> which I need to. <laughs> uh, okay, well, never mind. I, I no, don't I, know I, where I, that it, came from. <laughs> well, I mean, if you take, take, I mean, maybe not that, but hmm. if things like the dismemberment, I mean, that's fairly considered. This is on at like you know what we would call tea time so like mm -hmm. sort of five or six o'clock in the evening and you know the whole family is ostensibly watching i mean that's pretty hot sauce isn't it yeah. really um but the, i mean doctor who kind of didn't shy away from the macabre mm, no. it kind of yeah. no it, it kind of threw all that stuff in with with humor and um sci-fi and fantasy and all that stuff and kind of your might that's why 
um, you know, your mileage varies with it, I think, that, um, it, you know, if you compare it to something like, I mean, we talked about a bit earlier, something like the brain of Morbius, mm. which, you know, is equally kind of grim where there's brains slopping about on the floor and <laughs> all that business, you know. It's, it's just kind of, that's kind of just how we do, really, with Doctor Who, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was you know, Ace's first story, Dragonfire, the villain at the end gets his face melted off. And you see it. <laughs> Hardcore close-up. Uh-huh. Um, You know, sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark face melt. <laughs> <laughs> Only a, a slightly lesser budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's sort of things like, um, oh, Happiness Patrol. Mm. Kind of what happens to people who go through, um, uh, end up uh, sort of being executed in Happiness Patrol. I mean, that's pretty vicious as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, you know Doctor Who got in a, a fair old amount of trouble for the 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 more violent and macabre aspects, and it actually the Seventh Doctor is starting to push the boundaries. It actually, no, he's sort of starting to come back mm-hmm. because um, the Fourth Doctor got caught a lot of flack of flack for it. They toned it down a lot, but when the Sixth Doctor was on. <laughs> <laughs> it ramped up for the Sixth Doctor and they got another slap on the wrist. So that's why we're kind of, we're just tiptoeing at the edge <laughs> here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Rick. Yes. Is there anything about the story that you didn't quite understand? And can we try and answer those questions for you? Not really. I mean, huh. th- that that's the, you know, like, like I said, if, if you just, if you know enough about Doctor Who to, mm-hmm. when, when, when you're absolutely, totally baffled by what's going on, mm-hmm. just buckle your seatbelt, <laughs> relax a little <laughs> bit. And, you know, like, like those old uh, magic eye posters, if you just sort of unfocus your brain a little bit, it'll, it'll become, it'll, it'll make sense. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that this episode makes sense so much, but uh, it's certainly fun. Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, I think it does. I mean, even though it's a hell of a lot compressed from what it started off as, I think ultimately if you give it, like, a chance and go into it with an open mind and maybe give it a few rewatches, it does, everything does actually fall into place. You know, stuff does get explained, albeit briefly. I mean, the mention of, like, the fly and the reptile husks gets uh, alluded to uh, in by the Doctor in Ace. I mean, it's quite... Not throw away when they explain it, but at least it does get said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that it's kind of, it's kind of. It, I would sort of compare it to things like. I mean, in, in terms of sci-fi films, mm-hmm. there are films like Inception, which you know <laughs> you watch once and you, you at the end you go ah, and then you watch it the second <laughs> time and you sort of you because you know what to look for, mm-hmm. you can kind of in, infer things or you can say oh right okay so this thing has happened now which relates to the thing at the end that happens mm-hmm. trying not desperately try not to spoil inception for people on the other mm-hmm. hand you have films like primer <laughs> which if you've never seen it is basically an 80 minute headache <laughs> about time travel <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i've seen primer a bunch and i still ain't got a fucking clue what's going on i do like it but i don't know why i like it um, I would say that Ghostlight is much more like Inception than Primer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I liked it. Uh, I, I, I guess for all of its convolutedness, it sort of wrapped up really quickly at the end, which seemed a little odd. But uh, yeah, um, I think that's that's symptomatic of them losing an episode. Essentially, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think that. I mean, I think it probably you could lay some of the blame on Cartmel as well with this. He was a bit too in love with all the, the guff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, come on, mate, snack, you sort of jolly it along a bit. So we've got a bit more time to to kind of it, sort of get the ending kind of. We can sort of take it in a bit more rather than just sort of rushing along. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I, I... Sorry, lost that train of thought. Uh, That's right. Yes. Um, you, th- that this episode does that to you. I find yeah. that you well, sort of there, start... were, there were a lot of there were a lot of things that like you know like control mm-hmm. was supposed you know the, when when she was just a voice behind the door was really scary and like oh what is that going to be and then she ended up being you know this attractive young lady and it's like oh um, okay uh, and then you've got like the, the the fly head and the lizard head thing that mm-hmm. ended up. You know, they were great to end the episode for the pew doo 
mm-hmm. uh, cliffhanger for the next week. But then, you know, all you had to do was kind of shove them and they went away. <laughs> yeah, was, that that yeah. was uh, GNT's part. John Nathan Turner, the producer, felt that the story needed some proper, like, monsters. And that's how he ended up with the husks. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think that, I mean, with this episode, I think sometimes it's kind of useful to, if you're if you're sort of looking at this like you're going to watch it a couple of times, mm-hmm. because you've kind of got three quite strong plot threads, you could watch it three times and say, right, the first time I'm just going to watch it for Aces it plot. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, we turn up in Gabriel Chase because it's a place that she hates, and the Doctor wants to try and figure more out about this sort of, this this girl that he's sort of, collected from ice world mm-hmm. and um you know we we just follow ace's thing and then she kind of gets her catharsis at the end and saying i wish i blew the place up rather than burn it down and we'll go yeah <laughs> in the end or and then you can watch it with the whole idea that um there's this thing which is trying to assassinate queen victoria mm-hmm. and there's that plot and then the third time you watch it you can watch it as saying right okay so we've got this blasphemous idea of evolution and this whole debate and we've got these characters that are like personifying these arguments all together. And then in the end evolution, which is clearly the right idea wins the end. (laughs) So there you go. You can watch it three times and watch those three aspects. And then if you can stomach a fourth time, mash all these things together. And that's the episode. (laughs) Now I I do think, and I I hope I'm not, this isn't another one where I'm getting something confused. I, I, I do think that the doctor talking light down at the end mm-hmm. really reminded me of Kirk talking computers into destroying themselves. Yeah, that was very much uh, something Sylvester McCoy wanted to do with his doctor as well. It's not just like, you know, like the sixth doctor would grab a gun and just massacre the whole fucking lot of them. He actually wanted to use like the power of words to just, like stop and say, yeah, a lot of scenes during Sylvester McCoy's time where he does that. He just like, okay. he just like either talks the the final villain into like killing themselves or standing down or diffusing the situation yeah i mean that the the scene that i mean if you don't watch all of happiness patrol Mm -hmm. just that one scene which mike's talk about a lot where he talks down the sniper Mm. yeah it might be on youtube if you could try to look it up um happiness patrol yes okay Uh, i mean it's it's such a like an iconic scene i'd be very surprised if it wasn't um but um, is there anything else we could uh, mention about uh, Ghostlight, or do we sort of like now we just get into the minutiae? I mean, um, I would say that if you're listening to this episode and you've never seen Ghostlight, mm-hmm. but you're just you know we've wet your appetite for it, I just would say disregard everything we've just said mm-hmm. and go and watch it, and then come back and listen to this episode again, or go have a little read on Wikipedia or something like that, and then try it again mm-hmm. and then because i mean i can guarantee you will you will sort of whether you whether you like it or you don't like it you'll take away something you'll take away something from it i guarantee you that mm. well you know something that that i think one of the reasons i keep coming back to doctor who because there are times when i i i know what a pain in the ass i can be about shows and movies um and I know that I can be a real huge snob, especially back in my under, younger days. But one of the things that keeps bringing me back to Doctor Who is, is the performances. Mm-hmm. Because everyone in this, in this show, no matter how much they are just eating huge chunks of the scenery, they're absolutely committed to their parts. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have never seen a bad performance in a Doctor Who episode. I've seen some really, really shitty plot, plot lines. And, you know, special effects that would, you know, would make your average high schooler go, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but the, the, the performances are always spot on. Mm. You know, it, it's kind of like the, the movie Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. Mm. It could have easily been a terrible film if it had been even just a little bit off from the way it was performed. Mm. But because everybody in the film, especially the people playing the aliens, totally committed to their roles. It's a classic. <laughs> And I think that's where Doctor Who excels in in that, you know, even even playing up against paper mache monsters and and uh, and just terrible writing, everybody just gives their all to it. And I, I, it's one of the reasons Doctor Who I think has endured for fifty years. Well, I can't argue with that, Emma. No, I can't argue with that either. <laughs> so, shall we wrap this one up then? Yep, stick a fork in it, mate. All right. Well, <laughs> first of all, Rick, just want to say it's been absolutely smashing to have you on, sir. 
Thank you. I, I love being on shows where I don't have to worry about the, the format. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm afraid it's time. We must send him away to Java. No! <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to hear what you thought about Ghost Light. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to uh, email us, you can do so at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com or you can uh, poke Emma and write things on our wall at uh, facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. Uh, we also have our Twitter feed, which is at greatestshowpod. Um, also, while you're on Simply Syndicated, do check out some of the other shows. Uh, Rick does Starbase 66, which is a very, very nice show indeed. Uh, also, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Technical Leave It, Nerd Hurdles, all that great, great, great stuff. So, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. And we shall talk to you another time. I want to know what the hell was I thinking about the the. the oh no! It's awesome. I want yeah. to see. It. <laughs> I've got to figure out what that came from. <laughs> Are you perhaps not thinking of Mortal Kombat? No, no. I <laughs> finished him. <laughs> <laughs>